why Scotty was out. Dennis was a model citizen. To a point where it was driving him insane. <laughs> so when Scotty came back, Dennis wanted to take a vacation. <laughs> I come to practice, Phil calls me and says, oh, look, you know, Dennis wants to tell you something. And when Dennis wants to tell me something, I know it's not something that I want to hear. <laughs> so Dennis says, I need a vacation. And I look at Phil and say, Phil, what do you mean, vacation? He says, he needs a vacation. He needs some time off to let loose. I say, look, Phil, let me tell you something, man. I'm not, if anybody needs a vacation, I need a vacation. <laughs> we look at Dennis and say, Dennis, what, what are you going to do? He says, well, I need to go to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, you let this dude go to vacation, we're not going to see him. You let him go to Vegas, we definitely not going to see him. D and David show, and this evening we're lucky enough to be joined by Lou Canellis, Fox Sports 32 News anchor here in Chicago. We can do so. A lot of plot has been following for years. Like you were the dude late at night when I needed my stuff and I didn't have cable. That's right. I needed you to bring me that information, Lou. So every time you come on, I'm going to mention it because as a young man, I needed you and you helped me out plenty of Sunday nights to say the least. So oh, thank man. you. Don't, don't be aging me now. I didn't say, I said as a young man. See, I didn't say great or anything. Yeah, we, we don't know how young, right? Yeah, yeah. There you go. It was last year, it was last year, it was last year. <laughs> but listen, listen, Lou. So I woke up this morning and we all watched the last dance, the Bulls, uh, last season in 1990, with 96, uh, the finals that's been coming out, uh, the documentary on ESPN that we've all enjoyed. And I went to sleep happy, uh, especially, and I make the whole family watch it with me because it's like, especially my son, it's like, you need to understand this. Like, I'm, I'm very adamant about it. But I woke up this morning to bitter pistons. And it, it, listen, I personally love Isaiah Thomas. I'm not a Chicagoan that hates him. I appreciate his game. I like Isaiah Thomas a lot. But some of the mess that was coming out of his mouth, the part especially when he goes into detail about how he just kind of, quote unquote, found out that maybe Jordan kept him off of the dream team when it seemed like we all knew when I was a kid, it was like MJ Bird and maybe Magic, if not to say the least. And if I'm in Barcelona, I don't want that Detroit basketball energy with me when I'm trying to kick it. Now, Isaiah should have been there, but still, I understand why they didn't necessarily break him along. But what were your thoughts with all the breaking Pistons, Bill Lambert, Isaiah Thomas interviews that came out through ESPN this, uh, this, this morning? All right, well, I can't stand the Pistons because of the pain that they put the Bulls through. But we do need to remember that if it wasn't for that pain, we may have not seen six titles run off by MJ and the guys because Michael realized that he needed to bulk up. Scotty realized he needed to become tougher mentally. So did Horace as well. Ironically, I don't know if you guys saw it today, but ESPN ran a couple of stories yeah, Isaiah is crying about, well, you know, I got, you know, they kept me because Michael accuses me of icing him during the All-Star game, which he did. Mm -hmm. okay? And that's why I was kept off the 1992 dream team that played in Barcelona. And I'm hurt about that. And I'm hurt that people say what they say today. And they disrespect me because they feel that I disrespected the Bulls and we really didn't disrespect them. We just treated them on the way out like we were treated by Larry Bird and Kevin McHale when the Celtics were on the way out and passed the torch to the Pistons, blah, blah, blah. Hey, listen, I have more respect for Bill Lambeer, who came out today and said, I have no regrets. Mm -hmm. I don't like those guys. 
I didn't like them then. Then I don't like them now. They're a bunch of whiny little bitches. And <laughs> he just, he tells it like he is. He goes, I don't need them as my friends. So I don't regret anything that we did. And if you saw, I don't know if you guys saw the post show with John Sally last night on ESPN. I did. It was pretty good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Scott Van Pelt had Sal on and, uh, and, and Spider told him, that this was Lambert's idea. Isaiah said the same thing, that it was all Lambert's idea. But Spider Sally said that he even went to Chuck Daly and told Chuck, put me back in the game because I don't want to end up looking bad because I don't think this is the right thing to do. Mm. So, you know what? Forget about what the Pistons say. By the way, uh, can you guys say hi to oh. my little daughter here? Oh! Hey. Hello, Gia. Hey, hey Gia. Wave to everyone. Hi. <laughs> you came in. You interrupted our interview. It's Wait, all right. How old? How old is she, Lou? Low kisses. Low kisses. Okay. There you go. There we go. Okay. Wait one more time, and then I got to tell you. Okay. There we go. See, I told you to be on TV. <laughs> oh, guys. No, it's fine. I saw on your timeline earlier. She's adorable. Her second birthday. Okay. On May 10th, and uh, one of the beauties of being at home through all this and doing sports in my my guest room is the opportunity to spend as much time as I'm spending with my daughter. Absolutely. And you guys know the business. When I anchor every night, I wasn't around here. Mm -hmm. Talk her in, say prayers with her, help her brush her teeth. And now I'm able to do that every day. So I didn't mean the sidetrack, but no, no, it's all good. we take all, we want all of that. We're yeah. family guys. We want all of that. Dean Davis right here with Lou Canellis and his lovely little daughter, Gia. Is that just Gia, correct, Lou? Gia. Gia, his lovely daughter, Gia. Sitting here talking about the last dance in the bull. So look, right before D uh, takes it, uh, one question I had, because again, you're one of those guys that you were there, you know, like, and we, it's not like we kind of heard you there, like we're, like in our early 30s or 20s, like, no, nah, I saw you reporting you were there, right? When was exactly, and maybe it didn't happen, but when was this exception of inception of this rivalry? Was it a particular game or was it a particular series or was it the roughhouse and the Bulls felt that the Pistons were laying upon them? Like when did it seem like it went from like, yeah, we kind of don't like Detroit to no, we hate Detroit as a city and as that, the organization and the Bulls team? That first playoff run, where they did a good job of beating up the Bulls physically, you know, coming up with the Jordan rules. Brendan Malone talked about it on the last dance, the assistant coach to Chuck Daly, and how they had a rule. They wouldn't let him get in the paint. Don't let him get airborne, because if he gets airborne, we can't stop him. So Rick Mahorn, Bill Lambeer, even Vinnie Johnson, the microwave off the bench to a certain extent, uh, Joe Dumars did their best to make sure that MJ and Dennis, of course, never got airborne. And I think it was at that point where they physically took a toll on the Bulls, where the Bulls just began to learn to hate them. Not only because they were losing, but because they knew that they were trying to hurt them, that their style of basketball was far different than what the Bulls' poetry in motion with their triangle offense was. And that's where the, the hate actually started in that first playoff run. And then it continued with the Pistons. 
And then what happened was Pat Riley saw how it worked for the Pistons. So then he instilled it in the Knicks with guys who were CBA cast-offs and Anthony Mason. Starks. Starks mm-hmm. and Patrick Ewing to a certain extent. Even our local guy, Derek Harper, who remember, I don't know if you guys remember that fight he got into with JoJo English. Yes. Uh-huh. Actually uh, yeah. went into the crowd at the Chicago Stadium. And then Riley took that bad boy persona to Miami mm-hmm. with Alonzo Mourning. And it just continued, but nobody could stop MJ. Once he, once he realized what he needed to do here, here's where I credit Michael. Michael, number one, didn't want Phil Jackson to be his head coach. And they didn't, he didn't want Dennis, Doug Collins to get fired because Doug's offense revolved around MJ, putting the ball in MJ's hands and letting him shoot 35, 40 times a game. Phil gets the job. And Phil's job, the reason he gets the job from Jerry Krause, is to instill Tex Winter's triangle offense. Mm-hmm. And MJ immediately fights it. He doesn't want the ball out of his hands. Mm-hmm. But at some point, Michael realized that I'll be George Gervin. I'll be the Iceman. Mm-hmm. I'll average 35 a game and never win a damn thing. And the competitiveness inside him and he talked openly about it last night, about wanting to be on the same level with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. He realized that to get on that level doesn't mean you average 40 points. It means you rattle off NBA titles. And that's what he did. There you go. Lou Canellas joining us right here, Dean Davis Show. Make sure you follow Lou on Twitter, at Lou Canellas. Lou, uh, one, uh, at least the first two episodes, we saw a lot about the relationship between the Bulls, uh, the players, obviously, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and the late Jerry Krause. Uh, how do you think, how do you feel uh, he's being portrayed? Or how, do you like the way he's being portrayed so far in the first couple of episodes? What do you think? You know, I was asked this question on a radio station today, and one of my regrets in life is that I didn't have a better relationship with Jerry. Mm. Um, the reason I didn't was because in Jerry's mind, either you were a Jerry Krause guy or you were a Phil Michael guy. Well, I traveled with the team and I got along great with Phil and Michael and Ron Harper. I went to dinner with every night. So you couldn't be both. You couldn't be a Jerry guy and a Phil Michael guy. So it worked against me in my relationship with Jerry. The man deserves all the respect out there for building these six championships because until he surrounded Michael, they didn't win. Once he surrounded MJ and realized we need a center, so I've got to move Charles Oakley, Michael's best friend, Michael's enforcer, but in the long run, Bill Cartwright will help us get closer to a championship than Oak will. And he loved Oak. Mm-hmm. He pulled off the trade for Scottie Pippen. He went out and drafted Horace Grant. He went out and picked up John Paxson. He went out and got Steve Kerr. He made the deal. Will Purdue for Dennis Rodman. So you have, he gave Phil Jackson the opportunity to be a head coach. He brought Phil from the Albany Patroons team in the CBA to be an assistant coach under Doug Collins here in Chicago, and then realized Doug would never run his triangle offense, and the only way he was going to get the triangle uh, as part of the offense was if he made the change, which was, remember, an unpopular change because Doug had done a great job with the organization. But 
Jerry realized that he needed to make that move. For all those reasons, I have the utmost respect for the man, bless his soul. Mm -hmm. But he didn't have to end it like he did. I, in my opinion, and my opinion is just my opinion, when you have the greatest player on the planet who's completely turned around the value of your franchise, who's rattled off six titles, <coughs> five, excuse me, and he asks one thing, just make sure Phil Jackson is my coach. I don't understand why you have to run off the coach. Okay? Yeah. I don't care about all the BS that he told the Tribune. We'd love Michael back. He knew Michael wasn't coming back because Michael was a man of his word. Michael doesn't say something and then backpedal on it. When Michael says, I'm not coming back, if Phil isn't coming back, he's not coming back. So Jerry's bit about telling the Tribune, hey, we'd like Michael back. He, he knew Michael wasn't coming back. Okay? Yeah. And I just don't think – he need, I know he did not need to end it the way he did. This team, who knows how many, were they on the back end? Were they on the back nine? Absolutely, D&D. Listen, Dennis was, De Dennis was on the verge of veering off the deep end, okay? Mm -hmm. He needed his bender in Vegas, 48, 72 hours. Pip had logged more minutes over the course of nine years than any player in the league because of all those playoff minutes. Um, I don't know how much more Michael had left. Okay, because he was picking up the slack when Scotty sat out the first 35 games with the ankle problem. So you don't know if they would have gone off and won two, three, four more championships, but they deserved the chance. Absolutely. Now, I read an article on ESPN, and it was, um, I forget, I think it was up in Boston. Tim Floyd was on a radio show, and he basically told a story that him and Jerry Reinsdorf had dinner or went somewhere, I believe in Seattle, and basically Jerry Reinsdorf wanted to get uh, Tim Floyd's um, opinion on everything, and Floyd, to his credit, said, listen, man, you have, the, you have the Beatles basically on your hands. Let it die naturally. So my question to you, do you, do you, should we, as Bulls fans, or anybody in the media, obviously, look at this, do we, should we hold Jerry Reinsdorf more accountable for the breakup because he was the owner of the team? He could have nixed a lot of this stuff. He could have gone ahead and kept Phil Jackson on the team. He could have probably persuaded Michael Jordan to stay, restructure Scottie Pippen's deal, although we know he probably wouldn't do that, or nixed Tim Floyd becoming a coach. What do you say? One of Jerry Reinsdorf's greatest traits is his loyalty. Loyal to a fault. I'm loyal to a fault. So I respect that. It's his bat and ball. It's his basketball. Okay. It's his decision. What I believe he said to Jerry Krause was bring these guys back for another opportunity to win a sixth title. And if you do that, then I'll allow you to break it up and rebuild. So I think he, what he tried to do was he tried to be accommodating to Michael in, bringing, in, a, in asking Jerry to bring back Phil, which he did for that last dance run. But he also had loyalties to Jerry Krause, who had helped build this juggernaut, and he said to Jerry, and then after the sixth title, we'll do what you want to do. Also, remember when Reinsdorf gave MJ the $30 million contract, he came right out and said, I'm going to regret this. So he wasn't crazy about signing Michael back for those two years at $30 million and $33 million. Okay. Again, different than the way Jerry thinks, but it's his money. When you have the greatest player in the world, I would, I would have made sure that he was part of the organization forever. Yes. Right? 
Okay, forever. Make give them a piece of the action. Talk to the other uh, owners in in the Bulls organization. See if we can spin off five ten percent to MJ. So he's an ambassador, like the Bus family did with Magic Johnson, mm-hmm. and keep him around as long as possible. I just think that keeping Michael around and showing that kind of loyalty would have helped the Bulls recruit more free agents after MJ left. And I think that other young guys that grew up watching Michael um, saw the way he was treated and shown the door and said, I don't want to end up in that same position. Right. Dan Davis, right now we have Lou Canellis from Fox 32 Sports Anchor on with us. Lou, I want to get back to the Jerry uh, discussion that you and D were just going into. One, and it, one with Jerry Reinsdorf. One of the things that sticks out to us, and we weren't there at the time to see the interactions on the team buses, but was the disrespect towards Jerry Cross. Do you know if there's ever a time that Jerry Reinsdorf interceded and said, follow the chain of command? Like, you can have a disagreement, but this is your boss. And I get as far as Michael being the GOAT and Michael, uh, Jerry didn't draft Michael and maybe Scotty's following the lead from Michael, but I guess it was even more contention between, it seems like from the documentary, Pip, of course, with Pip and the money against Jerry. Was there ever a time that it seemed like someone told them to, to, to stop this right now, especially with so many eyes viewing the team, even though we didn't have social media at that time? Another thing that I love about Jerry Reinsdorf is he feels his place is not inside the locker room, not inside, not in that bus. I never saw him on the team bus. And he feels that, you know, he's hired guys like Phil Jackson to talk to the players and say, listen, if you don't like Jerry, that's cool, but don't disrespect him like you do. And, uh, and Phil took it upon himself. When it got really bad, you know, Joe Klein, who's a veteran who had spent time with the Celtics. He was on last week's last dance, first two episodes. Mm -hmm. And he said that it was uncomfortable for him to watch it. It was uncomfortable for me. I saw it, Mm -hmm. but you know, I tell people that I was seen not heard on that bus. I was lucky to be on the bus as it was. Um, But Jerry Reinsdorf, it's just not his nature. It's not the way he runs the business to get involved in something that he thinks should be worked out between the GM, head coach, and players. And then going to the relationship, particularly with, as you mentioned, and most of us know we grew up here, but with Jerry Cross bringing in Phil Jackson from Albany and with finding Scott, even though the NBA would have found Scotty, but also implementing probably the perfect system to really bring out all of Scotty's assets as being the point forward. Like, how is it that all the blame for Scotty Pippen's contract, he's viewing it towards Jerry Cross, even though we know Jerry Cross is opining from Tony Kukoc. And listen, he went out and got another piece. He wasn't going to be able to fix your contract if the owner was never going to redo your deal. Why is it that none of the heat seems to reside on Jerry Reinsdorf when it, at times clearly Jerry Cross's hands were tied? Well, because Jerry Cross was the guy who was dealing with Jimmy Sexton and um, what was his name? Kyle, uh, I'm trying to think. Scotty at that time was represented by two guys. Jimmy Sexton was one of the guys. Kyle wrote, I can't think of the second guy. And, and I'll never forget that when, you know, they offered Scotty the long-term deal, Jerry Reinsdorf told him up front, I am not going to renegotiate this. This is a bad deal. If you stay healthy four years from now, you will be worth a lot more money. But Scotty, because he had had issues at home in Arkansas, okay, he had a father and a brother that were handicapped, 
crippled, basically. Mm -hmm. He felt that he needed to take the money. Now, was he advised by his agents that take the money, let's sign the long-term deal, let's get the money in hand, and if you end up being one of the top players in the NBA, we'll go back to ownership and ask to renegotiate. Maybe he was given poor advice from his you know, two handlers, his two agents, but I can tell you that Jerry Reinsdorf was upfront before he ever signed the deal, and I think his anger was because Jerry Krause was the guy on the front line. Jerry was the guy who, you know, Steve Kerr once told me, because I asked, I said, where does this hatred for Jerry come from? And Steve said to me once that Jerry wants to be one of the guys, but he can't. You can't be one of the guys and try to be my friend, and then when it's time to give me a new contract, tell me how bad I am. Mm-hmm. which is what Jerry was doing is that's what you do as a GM in a negotiation. Mm-hmm. The agent's telling you how great the player is. Jerry's going back and saying, yeah, he's really good, but he's not that great, which is why we're not going to pay him that kind of money. Right. But you can't be both. And uh, did he get some of the blame that he sh- probably wasn't warranted from Scottie Pippen? Yeah. But it is what it is. I mean, Pip really didn't have any, you know, and Michael has said it countless times on The Last Dance over the first four episodes that Scotty handled things poorly a number of different times. But that's Scotty's, that's just, you know, that's Scotty's personality. Mm-hmm. What about Phil Jackson and how did his relationship with Jerry begin to deteriorate? Well, that, that one is interesting because Phil said, as years go by, people change. Mm. And I just think, listen, Phil changed. Mm. Phil was incredibly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he was appreciative. Humble. He was given the opportunity, okay, by Jerry Krause. But as Phil tasted success, you know, Phil became the man. Mm. And I think that that bothered Jerry. You know, Jerry was putting the team together and the guys that were getting all the pub, all the love out there from the fans – where Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, everyone else but Jerry Krause. Dan Davis here with Luke Kanellis from Fox 32. Luke, before D jumps back in, um, you mentioned a, a second ago when you were talking about how you didn't like the fact that they broke up the team and basically you're supposed to let that team die out. Did you ever sense any remorse from Jerry Krause during the, the, the rebuild and a half Uh, that he tried when he brought in the Twin Toddlers, or even with Jerry Reinsdorf, that, you know what, that was the wrong decision, or was it basically like, you know what, that was the road that we hold, and it's fine that we hold that road? Yeah, I think that they were – I I never talked to either gentleman about it, so I I couldn't tell you um, from personal experience talking to Jerry Reinsdorf or Jerry Krause, but I think that those men were – they were comfortable with the decision they had made. Was it the right decision? No. I don't think either thought it would take this long to rebuild what they had. I don't know if anyone really realizes how tough it is to win a championship until you stop winning championships, are back (laughs) at the bottom, and realize, oh, man, what a high hill it is to get back to the top. So I don't think they regretted the move, but I think that they've, you know, bless Jerry Krause, but I think that Jerry Reinsdorf has realized that when you start looking at empty seats 22 years later, I mean, let's be honest here now too. It's not like it was two years later, 22 years later, they're starting to hurt now with attendance. 
that's still one hell of a 25-year right. run. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think Kyle Rohn, was that the other agent's Kyle name? There, there you go. There you go. Um, all right. So, obviously, we're talking about the last dance right here. Uh, last couple episodes were about Dennis Rodman Lou. So, can you share with us a good Dennis Rodman story covering those 90s Bulls? Let me just say this. Dennis, we forget, number one, how great a, great a basketball player this guy was. Oh, yeah. Okay, seven-time rebounding champion, Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. um, Defensive Player of the Year countless times, mm-hmm. four times? Five yes, times? four. I, think, I believe it was four. Four, yeah. I don't remember exactly. And with the balls, he averaged over eight points a game. If he didn't have the greatest score of all time on the same team, and then another top 50 player alongside in Scottie Pippen, I think that Rodman could have been a guy that would average 13, 14 points a game. Mm-hmm. So now think about it. Mm-hmm. He'd average 13, 14 points a game, 12 and a half rebounds, and was a great defensive player. He'd be one of the all-time 50 best ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, and, and I'm really happy with the way ESPN handled last night's episodes because so many young people today are watching The Last Dance that never saw Dennis Rodman play mm. that never saw that six-time championship run. And they're getting to experience Michael. They're getting to experience what it was like to watch Scotty Pippet. And now they saw Dennis. And everyone, when they think of Dennis, the young people today, they think of him being a sideshow freak, mm. a guy who colored his hair, yeah. a guy who wore a dress, a guy who dressed crazy, Mm -hmm. Today, things would be more acceptable than they were back when Dennis did it in the 90s. But this guy was a great basketball player, smart guy. And what I loved about him was he had the biggest heart in the world. So I got along great with Dennis. I hung out with Dennis. He was as giving as you'd find a person to be. We used to go out to Martini Ranch down in the city. Martini Ranch used to be on Chicago Avenue, just east of uh, Orleans. Mm -hmm. Small little bar with great music. Tuesday night was their night. And then we'd go out on Thursday nights to Adagio, which was a hot spot across the street from Joe's on Weed Street. And then on Fridays and Saturdays, if the Bulls were in town, Dennis would just take over Crowbar. Oh, man. He just – he was great. He was great. Dennis had two guys with him all the time, a guy named George Triantofilu, who was one of his security guys, who was a Chicago police officer, and Kelly Davis, who uh, also was a police officer. And those two guys were with Dennis all the time, by his side, making sure he didn't get in trouble. And, uh, and he never did. I mean, think about as crazy as this guy was. Very true. Never heard that he did anything stupid out there. Did he get drunk? Did he buy 100 shots for the whole bar? Yeah. <laughs> If that's bad, I want to hang out with Ben. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, to have those stories of Bishop back in the day. So what has been so what episode has been your favorite so far, Lou? I love last night. Mm-hmm. I love last night because it told the story of Dennis. The week before, I actually I w- I've been watching it with my wife. Mm-hmm. My wife was living in Atlanta. She's from Chicago, but during the time of the championship run. She was living in Atlanta, so she really never saw 
and he, she knew who Michael Jordan was, but she never got the chance to sit and watch him. So it's been great watching it with her. Nice. She'll say, oh, there you are. Oh, I can hear you. Oh, where were you sitting during the NBA Finals when they played the Lakers at the Great Western Forum? And for me personally, to be able to DVR, I don't know if you guys saw, but NBC Sports Chicago played the games of the 96 team. Oh, yeah. Two games. And I DVR those games. So when Gia is old enough to recognize what she's nice. doing, she can see daddy in action. Yeah. To Oprah, David Stern, Michael yeah. being on the sidelines. So I actually watched, to answer your question, those first two episodes, I turned off the TV with Monica. I was upset. Mm. I, was, I, had, I had three different emotions. Number one, I felt incredibly fortunate that I was part of such history. Okay. Number two, I was angry that Jerry Krause ended it prematurely. Mm. Number three, I had sympathy for MJ because all this guy asked was, please keep my coach around and let this, let this play out. Mm-hmm. And if we go out next season and don't win a title, then you can tear it up and send us all packing. But if we keep winning, let us – if we keep rolling 7-11, let us keep rolling. Yeah, yeah. Right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, that was hurtful. I mean, it was hurtful. That was, that was a hard one, being a young lad and knowing that basically that strike short in year, the Bulls probably would have won even though Jordan messed his finger up. But, uh, Lou, real quick, I want to ask you this. Um, that summer that we knew that Robin was coming here, what were your first thoughts and everyone in media? What were your expectations? And compare that to what it ended up being as far as them being the Beatles at that time. Was it, was it different than what you expected or was it everything that you expected? Well, number one, I didn't know what to expect from Dennis. Um, while some will tell you that they thought that it would be combustible, that it would not work, I thought all along they're going to win a title. They're going to be the greatest team in the league. I didn't know if they'd go out and win 72 games, but I knew that they were going to win. And I knew it would work because I had figured that they had to talk to Michael about this. And even more than Michael, they had to talk to Scotty because Scotty and Dennis had a past when Dennis was with the, the Pistons. Yeah. Where it was Rodman pushing him underneath the bucket or just the wars that they had on the floor. So I knew, I figured that Jerry was smart enough to sit down with Michael and Phil and say, what do you guys think? I don't know if you're, you know, last night um, Jerry Krause gave Jim Stack, one of his assistants, all the credit because Stack went to him. He knew that Dennis was starting to go off the deep end in San Antonio. Um, 93, Dennis meets Madonna, starts coloring his hair. Madonna tells him to be who you are. Don't feel like you can't express yourself. So Dennis is like, you're right, game on. Mm -hmm. And while that works in New York and L.A. and Chicago, I'm not sure it was working in San Antonio. Absolutely not. Nation like the Spurs, okay? And David Robinson being there. Right, with David Robinson, Tim Duncan. So. Mm -hmm. Um, to, to Stack's credit, he saw that there was an opportunity. Krause first tells him no. To Krause's credit, 
he reconsiders. To Jerry's credit, he brings Phil and Michael and Scotty into the decision. Jerry Reinsdorf figures if everyone's okay with it, let's make it happen. And now you're talking about the greatest defensive player, arguably, alongside, and the greatest rebounder alongside two of the best scorers ever. How does it not work? And I knew that Dennis wouldn't come aboard, right? He'd fight the trade unless he was okay listening to Michael. And he listened to MJ. I mean, he never, when, when MJ spoke, Dennis listened. Okay. Mm-hmm. When Dennis got himself kicked out of a game in Indiana, okay, when Scotty was sitting out and, you know, Michael needed all the help he could get. And Dennis knew he screwed up because Michael needed him to be his right hand man. And his stupidity got him kicked out of the game. Who showed up at MJ's hotel room looking for a cigar? Yeah. Okay. As it was told in the last dance, that was his way of saying, hey, man, I screwed up. It won't happen again. Dennis was an incredible, Dennis is a very, very smart, intelligent man. Dan Davidson for Luke Canellis from Fox 32. My last one, Lou. At what point earlier on in, in Mike's career, Michael Jordan, did you realize he was the GOAT? Like, you can see a player for half a season and think he has a chance, but when to you did it become a fact that that's who he was? To me, he was the greatest of all time. When he hits, goes for, what, 35 in the first half against Portland and just is looking around like, I can't figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, listen, he put up 63 early in his career against the Celtics, was carrying the Bulls on his back. It was a bad basketball team. Jerry Krause starts adding pieces. When I had the chance to see Michael work as hard as he did, I mean, this guy's blessed with the greatest talent, okay, the greatest drive, and no one works harder than Michael. When you see that, and then you see the way he's a team guy, and he gets his teammates involved, and he understands that I got to get the ball to John Paxson against the Lakers because we need him to come through in the fourth quarter because he's wide open. Cliff Levingston, Bobby, um, can't think Hansen. of it. Bobby Hansen, thank you very much. Scott Williams, Will Purdue. He got role players. Listen, the greatest are the guys that can lift their teammates. And he, no one lifted his teammates better than MJ did. That's when I, I knew in that Portland series when they won that second championship, I'm like, this guy might win five, six, seven, eight, who knows how many. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, one could look back at the Lakers series, guys, and say, well, you know, that series turned when Scottie Pippen picked up Magic and shot him down those last four games of the finals back in 1990-91. But when MJ took over against Portland and that season as a whole, I started to realize he can't be stopped. And now mm-hmm. they've got the pieces around him. So who knows how many wins, how many championships this team can rattle off. All right, Lou, before we get you up out of here real quick, uh, we'll, we'll be crazy not to ask you about the current state of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Artuas is a new vice president, just hired a new GM in Mark Eversley. Uh, what do you think about these new Bulls? I think, listen, it's great. Um, Karnaschovas' work has been terrific in, the, in, in, in Denver. Mm. I don't know much about Eversley other than what, you know, you guys read as yeah. well, but his work in Toronto and that he found DeMar DeRozan, who's a great talent. Mm. And, uh, you know, spent seven seasons as a 
personnel guy with the Raptors and you know, look at Toronto's franchise now. Yeah. Then went to the Sixers and given the opportunity with Karnaschovas, what I love is Michael Reinsdorf doesn't like as much as you guys and I can't stand the state of the Bulls, Michael Reinsdorf hates it even more. Mm. Okay. He owns the team. Mm-hmm. No one, it's not hurting anyone more than Michael Reinsdorf, not only as a fan, but in the pocketbook as well. So the fact that John Paxson had the respect of the organization to go and say back in December, listen, we need to reorganize the top of the Bulls. And if that means me walking away, we need to do that. John Paxson respectfully walks away. They went out. They hired a guy that many teams out there wanted in Karnaschovas. You give him the keys of the car, he's going out and bringing in his people. My guess is that he's going to bring in his own head coach. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I think it's nothing but green grass ahead for the Bulls because it can't be any worse. Right. Got that right. Lou, we definitely appreciate you. You and your family during this lockdown, please stay safe. That's right. We look forward to seeing you every night on the news, but please, man, stay safe. And we look forward to seeing you face-to-face one day when this whole thing is over with. All right. I love you guys. You guys stay safe and keep your families healthy as well. All right. Thanks, Lou. Bye, guys.